Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Thank you, Bill, for leading us today. Thank you, choir and instrumentalists and uh, everybody that makes this service happen. I appreciate you so much. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. I mentioned that earlier. And uh, any, any Rams fans, anybody going to be pulling for the Rams tonight? That's been pretty low today. Uh, any Bengals fans? Got a, anybody doesn't care. Uh, that's been the largest. That's been the largest number of fans that has gone up in all three services today. Uh, you know, a lot of us are Saints fans, so now they're out. Uh, a bunch of us are Cowboys fans. They're out. Uh, I've been a long time. Packers fan. I've I've pulled for the Packers. My ever since I was like five or six years old. I don't know why. I just other than I just like the name Packers. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland, Mississippi. I had no idea where Green Bay, Wisconsin was. It had nothing, no connection whatsoever to all them Yankees up there. And and but I just like Packers. I just didn't know they were talking about cheese. You know, I just didn't know that. I sounded like something really cool to me, and so I pulled for the Packers my whole life. So, anyway, I'm pulling. For, I'm just gonna kind of pull for the Bengals tonight. I, I like Joe Burrow, and and uh, he, even though he played for one of those other teams that Mississippi State doesn't like, but uh, I do like him. So we'll see. But you know, the ads. Everybody likes the ads in the Super Bowl. So you know, tonight. Um, We'll watch those ads, and some of them will be funny and and things like that. And but here's the crazy thing: tonight, when those ads are shown, a thirty second. Some of you probably saw this: a thirty second ad in the Super Bowl tonight. Thirty seconds of advertising will cost seven million dollars for thirty seconds to put your product in front of however million people are going to watch the Super Bowl tonight. It will cost seven million dollars for 30 seconds but companies know that they know the power of advertising they know how important it is that they get their product in front of all those people with the hope that something that will said and something that's done will draw that person in to become a consumer of their product but those advertising slogans just get in us don't they i mean i'm, I'm kind of showing my age i have in all this the other two services and i'll do it again here but if i said there's i'm gonna say four words and and the majority of the folks in here that are around my age or older will know if I say plop, plop, fizz, fizz, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. I, so see, I, I mean, talking about Alka-Seltzer, even, and you know, it just sticks with us. You know, where's the beef? How many of you know who I'm talking about? I, you know, and, and just Wendy's and, and there was two commercials. So there were two commercials that, that came out again, my age back in the seventies, eighties, one of them was, was uh, for some kind of perfume. I don't remember the perfume. I just remember, again, remember the, the slogan, the catchphrase of that commercial, and it was, if you want to capture someone's attention, whisper. If you want to capture someone's attention, whisper. And then there was another uh, commercial for a stock brokerage firm, E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, you know, and so it's just those two commercials that talk about communication. If you want to capture someone's attention, you whisper. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Well, I want to tell you something. Last week, we started a sermon series. You see it there on the screen. The church out of the book of Acts, 
the you are is intentionally capitalized and emboldened to remind you that you are the church, to remind me that we are the church. You are the church, not this building, it's you, if you know Christ. And so we started that last week and, and, and uh, looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll kind of revisit that just a little bit again this morning to kind of get a run and start into the sermon that Peter preached after the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you two things. The, the commercial says, if you want to capture someone's attention, you whisper. Peter didn't whisper. <laughs> the apostle Peter didn't whisper when he preached that sermon. And when A.F. Hutton talks, people listen. When Peter preached this sermon, the people listened. And you'll see that in just a moment. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible with you, if you can grab a pew Bible from the rack in front of you or close to you there and turn to page 910, and you can read this passage with us as we jump into this sermon today. Now, this is kind of a long passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21, you see there, kind of a long passage, but I do want to read it because it's the whole sermon that Peter preached at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. So as we normally do, I want to ask you to stand, please, while we read uh, this passage of scripture this sermon so it says in verse 14 but peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them the them there are all the people that gathered up after the day of pentecost happened and again i'll get to that in just a minute but the crowds of people that gathered up to hear what was going on peter stepped up and started addressing them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, that's talking about the days between the first and second coming of Christ. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then I'll show wonders in the heavens above. This, this part will happen uh, later in the second coming of Christ. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And verse 21, so important. You might want to underline this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, you can go to the grave of David. He's still there. He didn't come back from the grave. 
being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was, a not, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of this Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, pleading with them, strongly urging them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us now, God, as we gather around your word, that your spirit would teach us and lead us and guide us and help us to apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. All right, so let's, let, let's, let's, let's jump in here. Uh, we got a lot of ground to cover, and I want to share this with you. Um, kind of help you understand why we're doing this. I want you to get a feel, a context for what is going on right here. Literally, what's happening right here? Just remind you, uh, Jesus uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, gave the Great Commission, promised that the Holy Spirit would come, and then he ascended back to heaven. And after he ascended back to heaven, what he promised happened, and the Holy Spirit came Acts chapter 2. And so it says at the end of Acts chapter, uh, in that passage in Acts chapter 2 that we looked at last week, that there was, when the Holy Spirit came, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then there were these tongues of fire that appeared and, uh, uh, and landed on the apostles and the people in the upper room. And then, y'all, they began to speak in other languages, not unknown tongues. They spoke in languages that the people there could understand. And so what I want you to see is why were there so many people? Because as we just looked at, as we'll look at Scripture here in just a minute, there are people everywhere. All these people had, were, were there in the city of Jerusalem. So why were they there? Well, let me give you a little background of that. The Jewish people had seven feasts or festivals. You can either use either word, feast or festival. They had seven feasts or festivals that God instituted. You can see them in the Old Testament. God put them in place, and he said, you keep doing, his people, he said, you keep doing these things to remember how I've worked in your life. Remember how I've taken care of you. Remember how I've provided for you. Remember how I've been faithful to you. Even when you were faithless and unfaithful, I've been faithful to you. 
And so he put these festivals in place, these feasts in place, and so the people would keep them, and every time they did it, they would remember, oh, yeah, we remember how God did this. Y'all, that's such an important thing. I hope all five of these kids that this day right here was one of those days, that they'll be able to look back one day and say, you know, I remember that day. I remember that day we were in church, and all these people were there, and um, my family stood up, my friends stood up, and Brother John baptized me. I remember that day. We need to have those spiritual marker moments in our lives when we know God was at work. I hope you walk out of here today. I hope you walk out of here today. Before you get home, you're telling your husband and wife, man, that's one of those days. This is one of those days. Because anything I do, because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God's going to move and work in a powerful way. And you're going to walk out and go, this was one of those days. We're going to look back and remember this day. But there were these festivals. There were You see them on the screen there, these seven festivals. Let me give them to you real quick. Walk through them real quickly just to kind of give you background why God said remember these things and what they talk about. Because, hey, let me tell you one more thing. Not only did they point back and t- say God gave them to them to remember what, I, what he had done, but they all point forward too. They all point forward because this whole book, Old Testament, New Testament, this whole book is about Jesus, right? Amen? It's all about Jesus. I mean, even when you get over there in Leviticus and you read some of those weird things in Leviticus and Ezekiel, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this. Not don't misunderstand me, but let's just be honest. Some of that stuff's kind of hard to understand. Why? Why they say this? Why they? Why they kill all those animals? Why they splatter blood everywhere on the altar? And all, well, it all pointed toward Jesus. And so these feasts and these festivals did the same thing. The Passover was the first one. You remember the Passover, the Exodus, you go, when, when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt and God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and, you know, all the plagues, the frogs, the flies, the gnats, the blood uh, in, the, in the river, the, the darkness, all this stuff. And finally got to the point where Pharaoh kept hardening his, his heart and kept saying, no, 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 I'm not going to let the people go. And so God finally said, okay, I'm going to kill all those kids. I'm going to kill all their kids. I'm going to get their attention. I'm going to kill their kids. So if you want to be safe, then sacrifice a lamb, the Passover lamb, and paint the blood on the doorpost and over the top of the door. And when I, God says, when I see the blood, right? When I see the blood, I will pass over. Who's the perfect Passover lamb? Jesus. If you know Christ, when God looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus. You don't, you're not going to die for your sins because Jesus already did that for you. And so the Passover points, it reminds the people, remember when, I, when God did that, but it also points forward to Jesus. Then you get to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that was the point where God wanted to remind them, you remember how, how quick you had to leave? <laughs> remember how quick you had to get out of Egypt? You had to leave so quickly that I said, you need to be ready. When I say go, you be ready to go. You have everything packed up. You be ready. Don't even wait for your bread to rise. So don't use yeast or leaven in your bread. You don't even have time for your bread to rise. When I say go, you got to go. And so that's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to remind them that they had to get out. They had to get away from all the evil of Pharaoh when God said go. Now, if you go to the New Testament, what's the connection? The New Testament, anytime you see yeast or leaven mentioned in the New Testament, it's always in reference to sin. And you got to get that sin. God says, don't put, don't, don't put any yeast or leaven in the bread back then. But he says, get the sin out of your life. Well, who's the only one that can do that? You can't do it. You can't get the sin out of your life. 
Only Jesus can do that. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a reminder, but also points toward Jesus, the only one who can give us the strength, the only one who can do uh, do what needs to be done in our lives to deal with the sin that's in our life. Then you get to the Feast of First Fruits. Let's talk about that. That was the beginning of the harvest. That was uh, signifies the Jews' thankfulness and dependence upon God. But it also reminds us of the resurrection of Jesus. Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit, feast of first fruits, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first one who resurrected from the dead and will never go back into the grave. And you say, well, wait, what about Lazarus? He raised him from the dead. But yeah, guess what? Lazarus died later again too. Jesus is the only one who's resurrected, but those of us who know Christ are going to be resurrected never to die again too. Amen? And so that points toward that. Then you get to the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, which is where we are in Acts chapter 2. The word Pentecost means 50th. 50th. And what does that mean? That means that this feast occurred 50 days after the first fruits, after the first fruits, This feast happened 50 days later to thank God for the provision of the harvest. So check this out. This feast reminds us of the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Holy Spirit, which happened in Acts chapter 2, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. First fruits is about the resurrection. Pentecost is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. 50 days. 50th. Then you get to the Feast of Trumpets, Numbers 29, verse 1. God says, this is to be a day of, for you to blow the trumpets. That signifies the end of the agricultural season. We've harvested everything. Everything's done. We're, going, we're, we're, we're at the end now, and we've got to get ready for the Day of Atonement. So it's kind of this break, this sacred season when everything's over, and now we're going to prepare for the Day of Atonement. For us, what's the connection there? The, this feast points us toward the second coming of Christ when everything's done. No more work to be done. Jesus comes, sin's going to be dealt with. There's no other work to be done. Then you get to the Day of Atonement. That was the day when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for the people's sins. And this reminds us, this corresponds with the time when God will turn his attention back to Israel and call the remnant to himself out of the great uh, tribulation. And then the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles, reminded the Jews of the time of their wandering before they came into the land of Canaan, before they came into the promised land. And this looks forward to the time when Jesus rules and reigns on the earth and all of his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will live or will tabernacle with him forever. So just background on that, and the reason I'm doing that is because I wanted you to understand the reason there was all these people in Jerusalem was because they were there for Pentecost. And they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and some people say there was as many as 200,000 people that would come into Jerusalem for Pentecost, for the Feast of Weeks. And so all of these pilgrims came in from everywhere. So that's why God made sure it wasn't some happens or just random thing. Oh, man, look at here. Isn't it lucky that all these people were here when the Holy Spirit came? God doesn't operate like that. 
These people were there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. All of these people from all of these different language groups, all these different nationalities in one place, the Holy Spirit comes, and now Peter has the opportunity to preach to all of these people, to tell them what God has done. So right in the middle, you've got 200,000 people there. And so the Holy Spirit comes and the apostles and the people in the upper room uh, start preaching, uh, start speaking in other languages. And you look in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 7, uh, verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation, every nation under heaven. Now, just, people from everywhere were there. And at this time, uh, at, and at the sound, what sound? The sound of those apostles speaking in other languages, at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Everybody that was there heard somebody speaking in his own language. What were the languages? Well, look at verse 7 and following. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're not, they're not like me. They're not my nationality. They're Galileans. So why are they speaking my language? And how is it that we hear each of us here in, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Listen, when they heard, they came running, hearing all these languages, hearing their languages, but they didn't just hear the apostles standing around going in other languages, talking, you know, talking about what they're going to have for lunch that day, or, hey, how's your mom or them, and, or anything like that. They weren't just having carry on these casual conversations. These people came and they heard in their own language the mighty works of God. God wanted them to know what he was doing. It's an amazing thing. The crowd was amazed and astonished. And then look at what it says in verse 12. They were amazed. They were perplexed even, saying to one another, check this question out. What does this mean? Let me tell you all something. When God starts working and the Holy Spirit of God starts moving, like he was right here, there are going to be people that are going to be astonished and they're going to come and they're going to say, what does this mean? What's going on? When you go to work and people go, why don't you cuss like everybody else? Why don't you party like, why don't you get drunk like everybody else? Why don't you sleep around like everybody else? Why don't you do that? What does this mean? Then step forward and tell them, this is what's going on. It's because Jesus is the Lord of my life. You see what else you had? You had people that were going, what does this mean? And honestly want to know what's going on. I'm hearing the mighty works of God in my language. And then you got verse 13. Brings us back to reality. But others, mocking, said, ah, they just drunk. They just drunk. They've been drinking too much wine. So I'll tell you what else happens when the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in a church as he is in First Baptist Church, Flora, and as I believe he will continue to do in the lives of the people of First Baptist Church, Flora, because you are the church. 
And there very well could be some folks who'll stand off to the side with their arms crossed going, ah, ain't nothing to that. Mocking, scoffing, accusing. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that person. I hope you don't want to be that. I hope you're not going to be that person. But that's the way the enemy works. He looks for people that he can draw off to the side when God's working, when the Holy Spirit of God is working and people's lives are getting changed and things are changing. And you have people who stand off to the side and go, I ain't, I ain't going to be a part of that. I ain't doing that. Well, let me tell you something, my friend. You can stand over there if you want to. The rest of us are going to go with God. So the application of this message is that the church is called to know the gospel, live the gospel, and proclaim the gospel. So Peter's about to start preaching. So point number one of this message is this. Hey! There you go. Write that down. Write that down. That's it. That's point number one. Hey! You've used that word since you got out of your car or your truck this morning. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, how you doing today? I mean, that's that's just the South. That's just one of our. How's your mom or them? You know, that, that's just one of that's one of. Hey man, how you doing? Hey bro, what's up? But it's also one of those things where you want to get somebody's attention. Hey, when you want to wake somebody up in the middle of a sermon. Hey, you know, and you you use that word, and that's what Peter did. Look at what it says here in verse in verse fourteen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. The New Living Translation says this. But Pete, then Peter stepped forward. Somebody over here said, "What does this mean?" Peter, Peter, steps forward. Of all people, Peter steps forward. Who stepped out of the boat when Jesus was walking on water? Who stepped back away from Jesus when he was being arrested and about to be crucified? Yeah. Of all people, Peter stepped forward. He's the one who stepped back. The one who stepped back is now the one who stepped forward. The one who was standing there and Jesus said, you're going to deny me. No way that will ever happen, Jesus. Never happen. Jesus said, when the rooster crows. Peter standing out there around the fire. Jesus has been dragged in. They're beating the tar out of him in there, spitting on him, slapping him, ripping his beard out. About to take him and flog him and rip his, his flesh off his his back and going to pound a, a crown of thorns into his head. And Peter's out there by the fire and somebody walks up and says, you're one of them. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? Nope, not me. Not me. No, step back. Finally, somebody else says, wait a minute, you're one of them. And he, he in Southern language, he cusses and says, there's no, I'm not. At that moment, the rooster crowed, and it says Jesus looked at him. Now, when I, you know, when I first, uh, you know, you, you read scripture and you kind of get a, in your mind, you get a mental picture of what, I wonder what that was like. I wonder what that looked like. I wonder what it was going, what that was like when Jesus looked at Peter and stuff like that. I used to think, I don't know, my mental picture when I first read that, or was it like Peter was there and there's like maybe this big 
like a big courtyard, and maybe Jesus was like 100 yards away from him, you know, other end of a football field away from him, you know, or even 50, 75 yards away from him. And that when Peter denied him that third time, the rooster crowed, and he looked up, and he'd have to look through the crowd and see if he could see Jesus and, you know, something like that. I went to the Holy Land several years ago, and our guide took us into the place where Jesus had been arrested and was being on trial and where Peter probably was standing at that fire. And the guy was telling us the story, and he said, and you remember when it says that Jesus looked up, and Jesus looked at Peter? He said it was about this far away where Trey's sitting right now, about that far away from Peter. And Trey's looking at me, and I can see his eyes, and he's looking at me, and it's like Jesus was right there. And it took on a whole new meaning that all of a sudden, Peter saw the eyes of Jesus, and he stepped back, and he began to weep, and he stepped back. And yet, that's who we see stepping forward now. So here's the word for some of you. You've messed your life up so bad, and you got so much junk in your closet, and you're so you've got so much stuff that you have messed up and you're under such conviction about that and you're beating yourself up about that and the guilt is so heavy and the shame is so heavy and you think there is no way that God would ever use me. Look! Who stepped forward and said, hey, let me tell y'all what's going on here. What does this mean? And Peter stepped forward. And he said, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. He said, number one, let me tell you what's not happening. What's not happening is they're not drunk. So you scoffers over there that are running your mouth and say they're drunk and you're trying to draw people away from what God's doing and you're over there just running your mouth and say, these guys are just drunk. Don't listen to him. They're just drunk. Then let me just tell you something. That ain't what's happening. Let me tell you what is happening. The Holy Spirit of God, whom the prophet Joel prophesied would come uh, at this time, has come. God has sent him. God has poured him, not it, God has poured him out on all people, uh, on all genders. By the way, there's only two genders. And God has poured out His Spirit on male and female, on young and old, on men and women, on free men and slaves. God has poured out His Spirit. That's what's happening right here. And then he gets to that last part of his first part of that sermon as he finishes that up. And he says, and God says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So maybe there's somebody here today, you need to hear that. That's You just found out why you came to church today. You just heard the best news that you could possibly hear. And anybody watching this service right now that needs Jesus, anybody, everybody, Anywhere, anytime, anywhere in the world, all of those people, all those different languages heard Peter say, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So come to Jesus and be saved. Peter said, hey, here's what's happening. And then he said, all right. And he just, man, Holy Spirit was moving. Holy Spirit was had empowered him. Holy Spirit had emboldened him. And so he just kept plowing forward. And so he said, here's what happened. And then he said, now, check this out. Here's what you did. Here is what you did. When you go to the next section of that sermon, when he comes before those people and he says to them, men of Israel, I beg you to listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. You need to understand this. 
He said, Jesus, as you see there in uh, verse um, verse 22, he said, Jesus was a man attested to you by God. Attested, that word means he was proven. Proven, shown to be the Savior. Proven by all of those miracles he did. All that stuff he did, all those signs and wonders he did when he was alive. He proved that he was the Savior of God. He was the Messiah that God had sent. He proved that, but in spite of those compelling miracles and signs, you Jews, along with the help of those Romans, you crucified and killed him. You did it. Now you look at what Paul, uh, Peter says there, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So we know that it was God's plan before the foundation of the world that this would happen. This didn't just, oh, snuck up on it and just happened. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world. God's plan, though, does not release the Jews, did not release the Jews from the terrible crime of crucifying Jesus. Peter made it forcibly clear that they were the ones that were guilty. God deliberately delivered Jesus up as part of his plan for our redemption, but they deliberately killed him. He said, this is what you did. He said it then, and then on verse 36, he said it again. You crucified him. You did it. He pointed a finger and said, you did it. Man, we're all sinners. And if Peter was standing here today, he'd point that finger and say, you did it. You crucified him. He'd point at me and say, you crucified him, John. You did it. It was your sin that crucified him. It was your sin. You crucified him. Sure, the Jewish leaders demanded to be crucified. The Roman soldiers carried out that crucifixion. But in reality, it was each one of us who killed Jesus. It was our sin that put him on the cross. Our sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It was us. Jesus laid down his life to pay the price for our sin, your sin, my sin, and for the sins of the whole world. You crucified him. So Paul, Peter said, here's, here's what you did. You crucified him. Here's what God did. He went on to talk about what God did, verses 24 through 36. I'm not going to read that whole passage. But he began to talk about that everything that happened was according to God's plan, was according to God's sovereign plan for our redemption. You look at what the Word of God says, that word definite in verse 23 means that it was an appointed, set, decreed plan and decision that God made before the foundation of the world. And you look at what the Word says here. You look at verse 23. It says, God delivered Jesus up. It was God's will, God's plan. You remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Eden? Lord, not my will, but what? Your will, thy will be done. It was God's will. God delivered him up, and then God raised him up. Man, <laughs> Verse 24, I love verse 24, where Peter says, God raised him up because it wasn't possible for him to be held by death. So God delivered him to be crucified, but then God raised him up. Then God spoke up in verse 30 when he told, told about David uh, uh, that God had sworn to David an oath that he would set one of his descendants on a throne. 
Jesus came from the family line of David, and so God spoke up and said that. And then God lifted Christ up, verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, therefore God has given him a, has highly exalted him. God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God lifted him up, and then God filled Jesus up with the Holy Spirit. You see there, second part of verse 33, where he says that the Father promised the Holy Spirit that has been poured out that you are seeing and hearing right now. You remember when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him as a dove. Jesus was filled up with the Holy Spirit, worked in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then poured the Holy Spirit out on those apostles and on us. So you see, that's what Peter said. He said, man, here's, here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit has come. The gospel's being preached. Here's what you did. You killed Jesus. Here's what God did. God's plan is being worked out. And then once that was all said, you get to the last part there, verse 37, and it says, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And so then Peter said, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. The word, those words cut to the heart. That means the Holy Spirit was convicting them. Was cutting to their heart. Man, we harden our hearts up so much. The psalmist said one time, said today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Man, I wonder how many times people come to church. I do. I've wondered this the whole time I've been in the ministry, especially since I've been a senior pastor. I wonder how many times people come to church. And they sit in church, and not because I'm preaching, but because they hear the Word of God. They hear the truth of God, and the Holy Spirit begins to, to speak. And yet they do exactly what the psalmist said. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. As you finish the sermon up, and I'm already over time, and maybe some of you are already looking at your watch and stuff like that, and it's kind of like, okay, he's going to finish the thing up. We can kind of get out of here. So we just kind of go, yeah, I know what he's saying is true, and I'm, I'm sensing being cut to the heart. I recognize that the Holy Spirit is working. But, man, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm not saying we're going to stay here until 2 or 3 o'clock, but I'm saying sometimes people do that. They just kind of harden up their hearts. I don't have to deal with the Holy Spirit right now. I don't have to deal with what I'm sensing right now. I don't have, want to have to deal with what's going on in my life right now because once you recognize the work of the Holy Spirit, you got to do what Peter says there, and that is repent. Repent, turn from your sin, believe in Jesus Christ. And then follow in believers' baptism, be obedient. Be obedient. So that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. When the gospel is being preached, we have to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to repent and believe that Jesus is who He says He is and that He has done what He has said He is going to do and that He will do what He says He will do and He's done it in my life and then I have to continue to live in obedience to Him. That's what they, The first question they asked was, what's going on here? And then after they hear the sermon and they hear the gospel, they go, what do, we need, what do I need to do? And here's what's happened, and then I'm, I'm done. So once Peter said that, repent and believe uh, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we preached that, and he says he preached a little bit more. And then once he did that, 
at that moment, <laughs> 3,000 broken, messed up, sinful, needy, unworthy people came into the church and came into your church spiritual family. They came into your spiritual family. They came into the church. 3,000 sinners came into the church. And they're in the church right now. They're in the church right now. People who need Jesus. They came into the church. They're people who do things that they ought not to do. They say things they ought not to say. They go places they ought not to go. They, they're people who think differently than you and they look different from you and they live in different places than you live and they've been brought up differently than you and they're, they're people who've cheated on their spouse and they've cheated in business deals and they've cheated in school and they've cheated in sports and they're people who gossip and they hold grudges and they cuss sometimes and they lust and they covet and they don't tithe or give to the church and they struggle with same-sex attraction and they struggle with forgiving someone who's hurt them and they live in constant bitterness and worry and anxiety and they go to bed angry angry nearly every night, which means that they've given Satan the key to their lives. And they're people who've gotten divorced and gotten in trouble with the law and they've gotten in jail or prison and they've gotten fired and they've gotten addicted to porn or drugs or food or gambling. And they're people who neglect their wives and their kids and their parents and their husbands who dishonor their wives and wives who dishonor their husbands and children who dishonor their parents. And they're people who are lazy or they work too much or people who aren't good parents and they're not good church members and they're not good friends and they aren't good, period, because no one is good, and they all came into the church, and they're all in the church right now. They're all in the church right now. And aren't we glad? Because they all need Jesus. And when I say they, I'm talking about us. Because if I didn't, if I didn't hit your sin in that list, you got lucky, all right? You can just, uh, whoo, he didn't say mine. Because that's us. I was in that list. I ain't going to tell you which one, but I was in that list. We all need Jesus. And I need Jesus now as a 57-year-old man. As much as I did as an eight-year-old kid who gave my life to Jesus and got baptized in Cleveland, Mississippi, I need him now as much as I did then. And so when I, so what do I need to do? I need to keep believing. I need to keep repenting. I'm not going to lose my salvation, but I got to repent today for what I did this past week that didn't please him. Christians ought to be professional repenters because we keep sinning. So keep repenting and keep believing and keep coming to Jesus and keep obeying Jesus and keep walking with Jesus and keep coming back to Jesus and keep repenting and keep obeying and keep coming to Jesus because you know what that is? That is the gospel. And a lot of times we think that the gospel is just for the lost people. Friends, brothers and sisters, you and I need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. I need to remind myself every day that God saved my sorry little old tail as an eight-year-old boy 
in Cleveland, Mississippi, and I didn't deserve it. And you didn't either. And you're not worthy of it. And so every day you need to remind yourself of who you are, what Christ is. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Repent of your sin every day. Believe Jesus is your Savior every day. It's not that you lose your salvation. You know that's not what I'm saying. Preach this gospel to yourself every day so that we can preach it to those who are yet to come to Jesus as much as we can. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us today to respond in obedience to you, Lord? I pray that there's somebody here today or somebody that's watching this service today that is cut to the heart as the people were. Cut to the heart. And we'll respond saying, I got to do something. What do I need to do? Help us today, Lord, to be obedient to you as you speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.